Chapter Twelve of Elusive Isabel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Elusive Isabel by Jacques Futrelle. Chapter Twelve: The Vanishing Diplomatist. It was three days after the ambassador's disappearance that Monsieur Rigolot secretary of the french embassy and temporary charge d'affaires reported the matter to chief campbell in the secret service bureau adding thereto a detailed statement of several singular incidents following close upon it he told it in order concisely and to the point while grim and his chief listened monsieur boiseguer the ambassador you understand is a man whose habits are remarkably regular he began he has made it a rule to be at his desk every morning at ten o'clock, and between that time and one o'clock he dictates his correspondence, and clears up whatever routine work there is before him. I have known him for many years, and I have been secretary of the embassy under him in Germany and Japan and this country. I have never known him to vary this general order of work, unless because of illness or necessary absence. Well, monsieur, last Tuesday, this is Friday— the ambassador was at his desk as usual. He dictated a dozen or more letters, and had begun another, a private letter to his sister in Paris. He was well along in this letter when, without any apparent reason, he rose from his desk and left the room, closing the door behind him. His stenographer's impression was that some detail of business had occurred to him, and he had gone into the general office farther down the hall to attend to it. I may say, monsieur— that this impression seemed strengthened by the fact that he had left a fresh cigarette burning in his ashtray, and his pen was behind his ear. It was all as if he had merely stepped out, intending to return immediately. The sort of thing, monsieur, that any man might have done. It so happened that when he went out, he left a sentence of his letter incomplete. I tell you this to show that the impulse to go must have been a sudden one, Yet there was nothing in his manner, so his stenographer says, to indicate excitement, or any other than his usual frame of mind. It was about five minutes of twelve o'clock, high noon, when he went out. When he didn't return immediately, the stenographer began transcribing the letters. At one o'clock, Monsieur Brasseur still had not returned, and his stenographer went to luncheon. As he talked, some inbred excitement seemed to be growing upon him, due, perhaps, to his recital of the facts, and he paused at last to regain control of himself. Incidentally, he wondered if Mr. Graham was taking the slightest interest in what he was saying. Certainly there was nothing in his impassive face to indicate it. "'Understand, monsieur,' the secretary continued after a moment, "'that I knew nothing whatever of this until late that afternoon.' That is, Tuesday afternoon about five o'clock. I was engaged all day upon some important work in my office, and had had no occasion to see Monsieur Boiseguer since a word or so when he came in at ten o'clock. My attention was called to the affair finally by his stenographer, Monsieur Netterville, who came to me for instructions. He had finished the letters, and the ambassador had not returned to sign them. At this point I began an investigation, Monsieur, and the further I went, the more uneasy I grew. Now, monsieur, there are only two entrances to the embassy, the front door, where a servant is in constant attendance from nine in the morning until ten at night, and the rear door, which can only be reached through the kitchen. Neither of the two men who had been stationed at the front door had seen the ambassador since breakfast. Therefore he could not have gone out that way. 
Comprenez? It seemed ridiculous, monsieur. But then I went to the kitchen. The chef had been there all day, and he had not seen the ambassador at all. I inquired further. No one in the embassy, not a clerk, nor a servant, nor a member of the ambassador's family, had seen him since he left his office. Again he paused, and ran one hand across his troubled brow. Monsieur, he went on, and there was a tense note in his voice, the ambassador of France has disappeared, gone, vanished. We searched the house from the cellar to the servants' quarters, even the roof, but there was no trace of him. The hat he usually wore was in the hall, and all his other hats were accounted for. You may remember, monsieur, that Tuesday was cold, but all his top coats were found in their proper places. So it seems, monsieur— and repression ended in a burst of excitement. If he left the embassy, he did not go out by either door, and he went without hat or coat. He stopped helplessly, and his gaze alternated inquiringly between the benevolent face of the chief and the expressionless countenance of Mr. Grimm. If he left the embassy, Mr. Grimm repeated, if your search of the house proved conclusively that he wasn't there, he did leave it, didn't he? Monsieur Rigolot stared at him blankly for a moment, then nodded. "'And there are windows, you know,' Mr. Graham went on then. "'As I understand it, monsieur, no one except you and the stenographer saw the ambassador after ten o'clock in the morning? "'Oui, monsieur. Say—' Monsieur Rigolot began excitedly. "'I beg pardon. I believe that is correct. "'You saw him about ten, you say. Therefore no one except the stenographer saw him after ten o'clock?' That is also true, as far as I know. Any callers, letters, telegrams, telephone messages? I made inquiries in that direction, monsieur, was the reply. I have the words of the servants at the door, and of the stenographer, that there were no callers, and the statement of the stenographer that there were no telephone calls or telegrams. There were only four letters for him personally. He left them all on his desk. Here they are. Mr. Grimm looked them over leisurely. They were commonplace enough, containing nothing that might be construed into a reason for the disappearance. The letters Monsieur Boisségur had dictated were laid on the desk by the stenographer, Monsieur Rigolot brushed on volubly, excitedly. In the anxiety and uneasiness following the disappearance, they were allowed to remain there overnight. On Wednesday morning, Monsieur, and he hesitated impressively, those letters bore his signature in his own handwriting. Mr. Grimm turned his listless eyes full upon Monsieur Rigolot's perturbed face for one scant instant. "'No doubt of it being his signature?' he queried. "'No, monsieur, no,' the secretary exclaimed emphatically. "'Vous savez—that is, I have known his signature for years. There is no doubt. The letters were not of a private nature. If you would care to look at copies of them—' He offered the duplicates tentatively. Mr. Grimm read them over slowly— the while Monsieur Rigolot sat nervously staring at him. They, too, seemed meaningless as bearing on the matter in hand. Finally, Mr. Grimm nodded, and Monsieur Rigolot resumed. And Wednesday night, Monsieur, another strange thing happened. Monsieur Boisségur smokes many cigarettes, of a kind made especially for him in France, and shipped to him here. He keeps them in a case on his dressing-table. On Thursday morning his valet reported to me that this case of cigarettes had disappeared. "'Of course,' observed Mr. Grimm. "'Monsieur Boisségur has a latch-key to the embassy?' "'Of course.' "'Anything unusual happened last night? "'That is, Thursday night?' 
"'Nothing, monsieur. That is, nothing we can find.' Mr. Grimm was silent for a time, and fell to twisting the seal ring on his finger. Mr. Campbell turned around and moved a paperweight one inch to the left, where it belonged, while Monsieur Rigolot, disappointed at their amazing apathy, squirmed uneasily in his chair. "'It would appear, then,' Mr. Grimm remarked musingly, that after his mysterious disappearance, the ambassador has either twice returned to his house at night, or else sent some one there, first to bring the letters to him for signature, or later to get his cigarettes. Certainement, monsieur. I mean, that seems to be true. But where is he? Why should he not come back? What does it mean? Madame Boisségur is frantic, prostrated. She wanted to go to the police, but I did not think it wise that it should become public, so I came here. "'Very well,' commented Mr. Grimm. "'Let it rest as it is. Meanwhile, you may reassure Madame. Point out to her that if Monsieur Boisségur signed the letters Tuesday night, he was, at least, alive. And if he came or sent for the cigarettes Wednesday night, he was still alive. I shall call at the embassy this afternoon. No, it isn't advisable to go with you now. Give me your latch-key, please.' Monsieur Rigolot produced the key, and passed it over without a word. "'And one other thing,' Mr. Grimm continued. "'Please collect all the revolvers that may be in the house, and take charge of them yourself. If any one, by chance, heard a burglar prowling around there to-night, he might shoot. And in that event, either kill Monsieur Boisségur, or—or me.' When the secretary had gone, Mr. Campbell idly drummed on his desk, as he studied the face of his subordinate. "'So much,' he commented finally. "'It's Miss Thorne again,' said the young man, as if answering a question. "'Perhaps these reports I have received to-day from the Latin capitals may aid you in dispelling that mystery,' Campbell suggested, and Mr. Grimm turned to them eagerly. "'Meanwhile, our royal visitor, Prince Benedetto de Bruzzi, remains unknown?' The young man's teeth closed with a snap. "'It's only a question of time, chief,' he said abruptly. "'I'll find him. I'll find him.' and he sat down to read the reports. End of chapter 12